You wear a lot of hats in a startup. Every day is a little bit different. You have to manage the finances. You have to raise the funds. You have to create the infrastructure of the business so people have benefits and get employed and salaries. And to me, that was all very invigorating because you get to touch a lot of different areas, building a brand, building the look, the pricing, the feel, the functionality, problem that it's solving. And it's so exciting. It's very stressful to an entrepreneur not as glamorous as some people might think, but I had some great colleagues that joined me on the journey. I've now tucked all of that into my portfolio and am drawing upon it as I work with businesses on basically doing a similar thing, pulling data off of people. It's money ball for business. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt-sized company from small 16 employees to extra-large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership, and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Terry Foudre. Ms. Foudre is currently the trusted strategic advisor to C-suite executives seeking growth through better human capital alignment. She previously was the CEO of a software technology company focused on manufacturing performance improvement through real-time performance insights. Her experience has included executive positions at two technology companies and at a nationwide hospitality company, P&L responsibility at a Fortune 500 company, and leadership roles in media relations, product development, sales and marketing, and brand management. In 2020, Ms. Foudre was honored by the Women Tech Founders Organization as the award winner in Women in Tech Intelligence and Automation. She holds a Bachelor of Journalism Advertising from the University of Missouri and was awarded a scholarship and completed the WBENC Energy Executive Program with the University of Texas at Austin. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Terry. Terry, welcome to the Corporate Couch. Well, thanks, Jeff. It's nice to be here. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. One of my favorite people. Um, there is uh, two questions I start every podcast with. One is, you know, we've been almost three years into the pandemic now, and we're all used to Zoom. What is the craziest attire or lack of attire you've seen on someone in a, in a, in a Zoom call? You know, I think the... Uh... The people walking in the background that don't realize that they're in the picture and um, or the kids popping in that don't realize that they're in the picture. Um, most people, though, that I have engaged with on Zoom, uh, at least from the waist up, are in pretty good shape. <laughs> that's actually that's the most common shirtless or towel, just a towel over their shirtless body. Uh, all males so far. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's interesting. 
the other uh, question I was, I like, it's not the, your origin, origin story, but uh, when you were growing up as a kid, what, what did you want to be growing up? Um, I wanted to get into video production. I wanted to be uh, developing commercials and be on the technical side of doing that. And um, that's why I majored in journalism at the University of Missouri. And then I went out to California to get into that industry. And um, there's something called the Mizzou Mafia. And those are the graduates of the journalism school who connect you with people. Uh, one of my professors connected me with the VP of advertising for CBS television. He was in New York. And so he set me up with a bunch of interviews in Los Angeles. And I ultimately ended up becoming a page at CBS television, working on um, a variety of shows and worked the Grammy Awards and um, uh, the um, worked on the prices right and a variety of other things, but ultimately decided I was a Midwesterner at heart and uh, returned to Kansas City. Interesting. Uh, so you did the Grammys, what uh, Price is Right, any other popular shows at the time? Yeah, I did the American Film Institute Awards. And that year, John Houston was the winner. And so that entire event was, it's a dinner. And uh, we seated people and helped them with whatever they needed. Jimmy Stewart was there. It was really an incredible event. Uh, Jack Nicholson was dating Aunt Angela Houston at the time. And um Angelica, I guess it is. And so it was, it was, I saw a lot of stars and um, worked on the Bob Newhart show. If you remember that, he was an innkeeper. I worked on uh, the soap opera, The Young and Restless. Um, Y&R, love it. Yeah. Um, my job was to sit and watch a light on a wall because it was a phone and it couldn't ring because it was a live set. So all day long, I had to sit and watch a light on a wall in case the phone was ringing, answer it, and then go find whomever the call was for. It was, the technology has taken so much beyond that at this point, but that was my job. <laughs> Your tuition dollars at, at work at the university. Yeah, there you Missouri. go. Uh -huh. There you go. Yeah. Love it. So what, what made you, uh, you know, what in your background or your family's background made you want to get into video production? I had done an internship at a, um, originally I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer. And then I worked at an advertising agency and I saw that the graphic designer sat in the corner and really didn't get to talk to anybody. And I thought, that's not me. I'm not going to enjoy that. So I switched over to video production. Um, and my dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, he started a company in 1968. And so I was around that a lot. And I, I've always had that bent as well. And um, so I've, I've done a lot of entrepreneurial type things. And I'd say that my career is a nightmare for an HR person, because there's no linear direction to it. It's been um, most of a zigzag. And, uh, but I've done a lot of interesting things. But I'd say that, that really where it all took me was um, brand development and management and um, helping products remain very focused on what the customer's looking for. Yeah, again, want to talk more about, uh, especially your Hulahan's experience, but uh, who was your worst boss at Sprint? Um, Sid Corson. So when I started at Sprint, which um, I started when they started, I was brought in by Chris Clouser, who was the VP of uh, media relations or PR 
Um, and my job was to be the liaison between the media relations people who were a bunch of hard-nosed newspaper guys and the marketing department because they those two groups were oil and water. And the media people needed to know what was going on in marketing so they could do press releases and stuff like that. So I had a foot in both camps and Sid Corson uh, did not like me and but he needed me. So I, I was entrenched with the marketing people and I would bring the information back as to what they were up to so that media people could do news releases. But I tried so hard to make Sid Corson like me and never happened. <laughs> and what was it about his personality or leadership style that you think prevented him from liking you? He was um, a good old boy, very old school. He'd been a UPI reporter. Um, he was, you know, just very gruff. And I'm pretty social. And uh, I think he just did not appreciate the type of personality that I have. But he did appreciate what I did. And um, it, it was it was an interesting environment. It was kind of a tough work environment to begin with. But I moved on from there into other departments at Sprint. Yeah. Do you think he was anti-female in the workplace? Yeah. They would they would uh, sit in his office and smoke cigarettes with the door closed all day long, all these guys. And uh, there were quite a few of us that uh, young women who worked there that uh, we were definitely on the other side of the river. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember the days people could smoke in their office or, or cubes, and then they migrated into a smoking room, and then it, it was totally banned, uh, only outside. So, very, yeah, very interesting. Um, and that's when you knew the hardcore smokers because it'd be, you know, ten degree wind chill. <laughs> they'd be outside. The yeah, smoking. <laughs> they got they got um, banned to the Arctic when they. Yeah. Had to support that uh, habit. Yeah, I started smoking just so I can take breaks every hour. So, <laughs> um, it's a good so, decision, Jeff. <laughs> um, so tell me about Hool Hands. I mean, you worked at Hool Hands. That was like the heyday of Hool Hands when you. Yeah, um, that was a very fun job. Um, so I was VP of marketing, and I reported to first the VP of operations, and then the um, CEO. And we would go on road trips to large cities and go to every single great restaurant in that city and order everything on the menu and look at how it was presented and taste it to see, um, you know, what we were going to develop for our next product. And Hulands was in a really interesting uh, position because we were competing with Applebee's and um, TGI Fridays at the time. And those companies had a lot of market penetration. So like in Kansas city, there might be 10 Applebee's or 10 Fridays and we had one or two restaurants. And um, so trying to generate traffic uh, without a media presence was very difficult. So we had to come up with ways to, um, to compete that didn't put us head to head because they could far outspend us and had a much greater share of voice in the marketplace than we could achieve. So we, um, when I started there, there'd be an executive uh, director of food and they would come up with plates with food and they'd bring it out to a table and the executives would sit around and would say what we liked and would pick what went on the menu. I changed that to 
uh, more of a customer feedback model where we would have test restaurants and we would create these test menus and we would actually, my team would go and interview the people eating and we would ask them, did this create a craving for you? Would you come back more often for it? And then we did an access database and put a four quadrant map of the food uh, and how it scored on that on that um, plot. And we could see upper right-hand corner were winners, lower left-hand corner were dogs. And those were the ones that we replaced. So we elevated the the uh, quality and the create a craving element of the menu so that people would come more often and we could drive revenues. I even did a, I started a bounce back. This is probably 30 years ago, maybe more, where in December when restaurant traffic is high, uh, we would give people a, an envelope that they couldn't open until they came back in in January. And uh, one of the things that was on the table was potentially a ski trip or a thousand dollars but most of them were a free appetizer or free dessert. And so we really increased revenue in that slow time and they still do it today, um, those bounce backs. We also regionalized the menu. So um, we had restaurants in San Francisco, New York, Philadelphia, and there are certain things that are you know popular in those areas. And so we uh, enabled the restaurants to customize some of their items to take advantage of what was regionally popular. And we also changed from a single pricing model across the nation to uh, variable pricing based on uh, the ability to support an increased pricing in certain areas. And uh, um, when I left, the company was up for sale and uh, we had made a lot of great improvements. It was a lot of fun. Did you leave because of the company was up for sale and uh, or what was the reason for leaving Hool Hands? It was the reason that everybody tells you somebody leaves a job. Uh, they, they don't leave a job. They leave a boss. And my um, boss had left to become president of California Pizza Kitchen and brought in a replacement. And I did not have a, a level of respect for that person. And uh, in terms of his ability to lead the company. And so um, I left and then I started my own business, uh, which was a, first it was a franchise. It was a, a very unique photography application that used um, other retailers' traffic, piggybacked off that. We helped them increase their uh, frequency of visit and we did our shooting on their, uh, on location with them, like at Nordstrom and Dillard's and Toys R Us. And uh, it was very lucrative, did very well. And then I sold it after three years. And so what was the actual business? So uh, we would put a sign-up sheet on in the children's department of a retailer. People would sign up for a free photography sitting. They would have a date when they would come. We would show up with our props, our backdrops, set up in the children's department and do sittings every like 20 minutes or so. And then we would come back to the store two weeks later and show them their proofs from the sittings. And they were in black and white and sepia. And we had dressed the kids up in antique type clothing and had some props. And then they would order prints of the proofs and we would hand color them and paint, paint, you know, rosy cheeks and flowers and stuff, and then frame them. And so it was, uh, it was a piggyback retail approach benefited the retailer by increasing frequency of visit and benefited us because we 
use their their um, space and geography. Interesting. And, and what got you into that business? I always look for a problem to solve. And that is, that's been the, the thing that I have uh, built my whole career on. And at the time I had young children and I went to uh, have my son's picture taken with what would, was at that time the best photographer in town. And it was a terrible experience. And I thought, well, this is a wide open opportunity. This is a fragmented market. Um, there's an opportunity to create something bigger here and do a better experience. So um, I had that problem. So I set out to solve it with the business that I started. I, I actually had a vision of it. It could become a national brand and you could really approach it from that perspective. But um I did every position. I was the photographer. I was the marketing person. I was the um, seller. I did all of those things and then backfilled all of those positions with employees. And so it was, became a turnkey thing. And I, it was a fairly exhausting endeavor ultimately. And so I sold it. Interesting. So then uh, is that when you went to uh, net standard after that? Yeah, I, <laughs> I'd been out of the market. I'd stayed home for about 10 years and, um, I needed to get a job. And while I'd been out of the market, my marketing background had become somewhat obsolete due to digitization of marketing and SEO and everything else going on. So um, anyway, but NetStandard hired me to um, help with their marketing. And um, I did that for a year. And NetStandard was a technology managed services company. And, um, and then I asked to move into sales and I did that for probably three or four years. And then I got recruited to a custom software development company as VP of business development. So what's it like? You're, it's the late 90s into uh, 2011 when you get the uh, net standard job. So what was it like just you know, putting your uh, professional career on pause for uh, uh, you know, raising your kids or, or, or you know, dealing with family or whatever you were doing at that time? I mean, what's that like and what was your strategy to kind of say, okay, I'm ready to get back. That's great, but how do I get back? You know, yeah, it was daunting. I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it. I didn't think I had much relevance. And um, but, you know, everything you do creates part of your intellectual portfolio. And I found that, you know, as I focused on problem solving and how do we better serve the customer? Um, I had a knack for doing that and being credible with it. And um I think you you just have to persevere. You have to have confidence. And my motto is one foot in front of the other. You know, you just keep going and keep a good attitude and you will find a way. So what made you want to get into sales? Well, the paychecks are attractive. And um, I also, I enjoyed working with executives and helping them solve problems and consulting with them. And I had not been in direct sales prior to that. And uh, it looked like a lot of fun. So that's what I did. Yeah, I would say the majority of marketing people want to stay in marketing. <laughs> and the majority of salespeople want to stay in sales. And there's reasons for that. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So how did you hone your sales skills? Like, was, did you have a mentor? I know you're, uh, you love to read. What, how, did, how did you, you know, hone those skills? 
Well, I was fortunate in the year that I was VP of uh, marketing for that company, I learned the product. So I was very familiar when I moved into sales. It wasn't a learning curve for me. And um, I watched the other salespeople and what they did and how they talked to the customers. I also participated in Sandler sales training uh, while I was there. was fortunate that uh, um, Dan Stout was, uh, invited me to a lot of things. And he eventually ended up working uh, formally with NetStandard. But, uh, you know, I think the Sandler methods methodology is, is definitely relevant and helpful. And then I think it's really just about caring about people and listening to their problems. And uh, I was just with a, a person yesterday who uh, he's a Vistage chair, Larry Hawks, and he was talking to me about you know, open-ended questions and getting people to talk and listening for that emotional word. So if somebody says that's frustrating, you know, digging into that, tell me more about that. And if you, if you're just patient and you're a world-class listener, you can find out what problem somebody wants to have solved. And hopefully that's a problem your product can address. Yeah. Was this about the time I believe, uh, and they've all been uh, guests of the podcast, but it was this, this was about the time that you, Brad Douglas, Scott Havens, and maybe somebody else would get together on a monthly basis just to, you know, run ideas off each other. And was this was this the time? Yeah, uh, that it was actually Scott Havens, myself, and Bill Mahood at Post Melly, and the three of us would host a business breakfast, like every month or every other month and we'd do it at Postinelli. Bill would order in the breakfast and it was a buffet. We'd start at 7, 7.30 and um, we would have a speaker and we had Harry Campbell, we had Drew Myrowich, we had other um, people who had interesting stories to tell that was uh, business related, that were business related. And we would invite C-level executives to come there was no selling. It was just um, some topic of interest and inspiration to C-level executives of a variety of companies. And uh, so that we'd have breakfast, sit at a table, network, speaker would start, and then there'd be Q&A. And it was highly successful, not very expensive. And we did that for several years. And then I started another business and kind of dropped out of the networking world for a while and uh, just got back into it. Yeah. So t uh, you started your own business founder, CEO. T tell us about that experience. Well, I, um, I had been working at the custom software development company and I became very interested in the internet of things, bringing data off of machines in real time. And as I studied that and went to a few trade shows, I, began to think that was a very huge opportunity. And so started that company. We were doing project work, looking for a problem to solve. And we were primarily in transportation. And I didn't want to be in transportation because it had been, telematics had been in transportation for a long time. It was more mature with lots of competition. And I became interested in improving the manufacturing performance in the United States with better insights into all the data that occurs on the factory floor, which there's a ton of it, but it's not integrated and it's not visible in many cases. So 
I was walking the factory floor of uh, one of my friend's uh, companies. And I said, what problem would you like to solve digitally first? And he said, I'd like to know what's going on in my mixed tanks. And they'd had an explosion in one of their other locations because they were monitoring the temperature of the mixed tank content on the top, but not down below where it was heating up much more rapidly. So um, we put sensors on uh, the mixed tank and started developing partnerships to monitor mixed tank contents, which surprisingly is very complex, lots of physics involved, and not a lot of people are um, expert at it. And so, and you had a partner, I believe, who was one of the IoT experts in the Yes, he had written several books on IoT and edge computing. He had led the development of um, uh, the LaserJet printer at Hewlett-Packard. He brought 60 SKUs to market with Hewlett-Packard. He'd been at Micron and Cradlepoint, and he currently runs Xbox and xCloud plus machine learning and other AI stuff at Microsoft. He's... Um, his name's Perry Lee. He's just amazing. And he was in Boise, Idaho. We became friends. So he started, um, he never came on board in the company, but he was a consultant advisor. And um, we uh, got a lot of market validation that what we were doing was headed in the right direction. Our fatal flaw was that um, we had one developer and it took too long to get our features to the market and our partnerships started to uh, dissolve as they got introduced to other potential uh, partners. And so I had to shut the company down last year. Incredible, though, that you got it into the IoT space. I mean, you know, you're, you're pretty data driven for a, a journalism uh, advertising major at uh, the University of Missouri. So where did the, where did the data, uh, love of data come in? Well, what I do now is I profile people with a solution that is a behavioral psychology um, software. And my profile is a trailblazer, which is um, I am very data oriented. I'm social. I'm not a conformist and I'm not very patient. So <laughs> all of those things together, I, I think the data was uh, was always there. Um you know, my first my first entrepreneurial experience was selling crawdads from my front sidewalk. And I would go catch the crawdads in the creek and the big ones were 50 cents and the little ones were 25 cents. So as you sold the biggest one for 50 cents, the next biggest one became the biggest one and so on and so on. So ultimately, when you got down to the last crawdad and it was the smallest, it was still 50 cents. So um, I, I've always been a little analytical and um, entrepreneurial and looking for opportunities to serve a need. I think you need to uh, add to your LinkedIn profile. You're uh, a pioneer in dynamic pricing. I think that would, uh, I don't think anyone was doing that. And, and we're about the same age. So I, yeah. in, in that time frame. That's the end of part one of Jeff's interview with Terry Fudre. Be sure to listen to part two, where Terry concludes her discussion about her work with IoT and continues discussing the work that she's currently involved in here on the corporate couch.